see. We're on a mission from God. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Qureshi, also known as The Q. And today I have a wonderful guest. Uh, her name is Katie. Katie Perez. Perez. Right. Yeah. I always just want to call you Katie Irons, but that's your... That's, that's fine. Your yeah. Okay. Yeah. Katie Irons Perez. Yes. Yes. That's me. Who is, in fact, a librarian. And my favorite people in the world or at least like top three of the of types of people that I love in the world are librarians. And okay. so, uh, because I think I kind of feel like if you're sitting around in a library all day, marinating in books, that just by osmosis, you become this awesome person. That's my theory. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> sure. I'll go with that. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> okay. How are you, Katie? It's so good to have you on. I'm good. I'm good. I had a little bit of a, I don't know, frantic morning um, because I decided kind of last minute that I needed to take Zoe to daycare because otherwise she would want to be in this room and she would want to bark at all the things. Ah. And so I was just trying to like, uh, so anyway. So well, I, I feel like I'm a little flustered, but like, I'm cool now and I'm here and I'm talking to you. So that's great. Well, I just want to say for the record that um, the podcast is a pro pet podcast and we sure. would not have been at all annoyed by Zoe's excitement. Sure. Um, we do have both my cats here. Oh, so oh, excellent. They, okay. They're hanging out at the periphery watching me, wondering what I'm doing in the bedroom with a computer. If they have any, uh, if they have any interest in contributing to the conversation, you just let me know. I will. We'll I add will, them in. Sure. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, as you may or may not know, I start the podcast with icebreaker questions. Sure. Okay. So, are you ready? Are you ready? I think I am. You are. <laughs> this was challenging for me because I was like, I usually when I do presentations, I I study ahead of time, and I was like. I, I don't have anything to study. <laughs> so. You have nothing to study. Because you know why? Because the podcast is all about you and you know yourself. You've been I studying so. yourself. Yeah. You I know hope yourself. So. Okay. All right. <laughs> Question number one is what was the last thing that you watched on television? Um the very last thing we watched on television was um QI, the British it's like a British quiz show oh. that we watch on BBC America. And it's basically just a bunch of smart people hanging out, like goofing off and answering silly questions and doing like science experiments. And it, wow. it's very amusing. Who it's is the host? Um, Stephen, um, why am I blanking on his name? Fry, Stephen Fry. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I have not even heard of this, although, uh, you know, I appreciate any show that has a Q in the title. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's in that grand tradition of British competition type shows where the contestants are competing for a prize that's basically meaningless, uh -huh. you know, and that yeah, yeah. they're just there for the purpose of having fun. Yes. <laughs> kind of like, wait, wait, don't tell me. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, which are <laughs> excellent. Okay, that's good. And not only is that a good answer, but now I've learned something. And so now I'm going to go find that show. Yeah, um, we watch it on the BBC America. I yeah. think we have that one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Question number two, and this is, uh -huh. a, this is an important one. This is a big one. Okay. What is the last book you've read? So... Right now, I'm reading a book called The Next Pandemic, oh. which was written in 2016. That's <laughs> so delightful. I'm like, I'm like, oh, here, let me read a, this book written four years ago about what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, but some of that is just I'm I've always been fascinated with like viruses and health 
than, you know, anyway, I know that sounds crazy, but I've always been interested in like, it sounds really morbid, but like the history of plagues and how people respond to them and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not crazy. My daughter actually is the same way. Um, and that's what she wants to study is, oh, uh, cool. yeah, she wants to do a bio, you know, she wants to study biomed and she wants to study infectious diseases. Oh, fun. Cool. And that takes a certain kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> and that is not the kind of person I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, but I turned to the after, or I'm turned to the next pandemic because I've been struggling with the book Piranesi for a while, which is the Susanna Clark book, the follow-up to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which I loved, and I, I was so looking forward to her book, the new book, but I've just had difficulty getting into it, and uh, as I get older, I, I have given up that whole thing of, like, I'm just going to force myself to finish yes. this even though I'm not enjoying it. Yes. Um, to just be okay with like saying, no, no, <laughs> it's okay. I can put this down. Right. Yes. That, you know what? I, it was such an enormous amount, like a, a feeling of freedom when I discovered that I didn't have to finish reading a book before I started another one. Like if a book wasn't doing it for me, right. I could just be like, okay, well, I'm just not going to read that anymore. And I don't know why I had it in my head that, I had to finish it, but I would like literally have a book and then I wouldn't read anything else. I would just like, and it would just sit on my nightstand yeah. and I'd be like, you know, I can't, you know, and then I wouldn't read for like months. Right. Cause I'm like, I no, can't I, finish this one. I had the same thing. And then I was, t I was turned on to this idea by Nancy Pearl. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she, uh -uh. she's kind of, big in library world and she's kind of big in Seattle she did a thing about books for the local public radio station for a long time but anyway she's written a lot about reading and her rule is um, give a book 50 pages oh and if you're not into it by 50 pages then you can you know you can leave it with like no concerns or anything and then she says and then once you reach the age of 50 you can subtract one page for every year you are over 50 so if you're 51 you can read 49 pages <laughs> and if you're not into it you can put it down but anyway it's just a fun little thing to say you know I love this you don't have to you don't have to force yourself but then it also gives you that opportunity to maybe challenge yourself if you're not immediately sucked in because sometimes books take a minute to grow on you sure but yeah this is a but great yeah. idea yeah so that's my rule yeah i'm gonna adopt that as my policy right now yeah. that is my yep. new 50 pages rule. okay all right good <laughs> done although i don't know how that works with audiobooks because i listen to a lot of audiobooks right. yeah <laughs> maybe that's true i don't know maybe 15 <laughs> 20 minutes i don't know yeah um yeah i started listening to audiobooks just because you know and i think it's the reason why i love podcasts so much the audio format just works for me i yeah. love it mm -hmm. i love no, it I'm, i love i love podcasts i'm completely I've got several that I'm kind of obsessed with. Okay, so. tell me what they are. I want to know. So I recently, I, during the pandemic, I kind of evolved because my, originally my podcasts were almost exclusively famous people interviewing other famous people. Like yes. there's a whole genre of podcasts. That, yes, yes, those, those podcasts. And I, and I finally just was like, you know, okay like that's enough because there's like a limit to the number of celebrities to participate so then you just start hearing the same celebrities being interviewed like in different combinations right. you know like conan will be interviewing jimmy fallon and then jimmy fallon will be interviewing conan and you know it's like okay yeah. enough yeah yeah but anyway so now i've moved on to um you're wrong about which is uh looks at various times in history and kind of gives like a 
perspective that's wider than what we usually remember. Cool. And then the same guy who does You're Wrong About has just started a podcast that I'm really into called Maintenance Phase. And that is a podcast about health fads. Oh. And, um, you know, these sort of crazy, like the first one was about, or that I heard was about the presidential fitness test you know that we all had to do in did you, yes. did you do oh that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I hated it and yeah me too and that, that essentially there's no science behind that it it's not the right way to teach kids to be active but it completely grew out of like cold war cold war paranoia mm-hmm. that you know Russian children were being, you know, trained to be little soldiers and, and, and American children's were, were lazy and needed motivation. But, you know, forcing them to climb ropes isn't really a great motivation. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just, I remember those, those stupid, like when we, we would have to like run a mile and they would time us. Yeah. I just remember all that stuff. And I just, I hated it. I yeah. hated any kind of physical activity as a kid. Right. Yeah. It was torture. Um, I just, while you were talking, subscribe to both of those podcasts. Oh, good. good. I look forward to hearing them. Is there anything else, any other podcasts that you feel the world needs to know about? Well, uh, also Decoder Ring, which is similar to You're Wrong About. It uh-huh. just looks at, you know, a particular... Like right now, I'm listening to the decoder ring that's about the Jane Fonda workout tape (gasps) and all of like the history behind how that came to be. And then and then Jane Fonda and her activism. And, you know, she was such a flashpoint in the 70s. Yeah. And how that was all kind of wrapped up in the workout tape. We had that Jane Fonda workout tape. Yeah. yeah I I've done that Jane Fonda workout tape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Many times. People don't know. People don't even know. Like there were workout tapes before there were even like videotapes. Yeah. Like videos. Those, like we were doing it yeah. by audio. Right. Yeah. Or like um, I remember exercise programs on television like the mm-hmm. yoga yoga on PBS. Always. Richard goddamn Simmons baby. Yeah. That guy, I remember Richard Simmons as a little kid, and boy, I thought Richard Simmons was awesome. I hated (laughs) exercise, but I still loved Richard Simmons. Yeah, Yeah, I was always kind of the same. (laughs) (laughs) Exercise looks fun until you try it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would sit on the couch and watch Richard Simmons is what I would do. Right. Right. All right. Well, very good. Okay, so my third icebreaker question is, uh, what did you have for breakfast? I had an English muffin with uh, two Morningstar Farm breakfast sausage patties mm-hmm. and a cup of coffee. Oh, that sounds very nice. Yeah. Did yeah. you make a little sandwich out of it or did you have? Yes. Oh. I make like a little McMuffin. Yeah. With the Morningstar Farms and the English muffin. Yes. And let me say that I am not... Like, I don't eat those fake meat things all the time, but I also don't hate them. Yeah, I'm the same way. I used to eat them a lot more when I was single. Um, The corn dogs are amazing. Because they were just easy, you know, like you throw them in the microwave and, you know. But, yeah, it's weird how much my eating and taste and everything have kind of changed since I got married. You always kind of swear that, like... I'll never change, but <laughs> yeah, I've changed. Oh, but you got and you got married like as a as a grown ass woman. As a grown ass woman, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah, definitely. I highly recommend it. <laughs> really, I recommend figuring out who you are before you get married. I guess, but that's yeah. my own experience. So, yeah, and it, I well, it also helps. I think that you married a good person. Yes, absolutely. That, absolutely. That does contribute to the wedded bliss. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, what do you want to talk about? We can talk about anything and everything, but we're not getting out of this podcast until we talk about tigers. I can tell you that much. Okay. Well, we could. We can talk about tigers. We can open with tigers if you want. Well, we've already opened, but um, 
I don't know. I I was I was hoping that you would like guide the conversation and okay. I would be happy to talk about whatever you wanted to talk okay. about. Okay. Well, see, this is the great thing about being on a podcast with a librarian is that you can yeah. talk about anything. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. However, my my what I'm curious about most, I mean, the whole point of the podcast is about you. Right. 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 So, uh, I would like to know how you got to be who, uh, let me preface this with a short story. Okay. Which is that I was a weird little kid. <laughs> right. And, uh, I spent a lot of, a lot of happy years in libraries. Um, yeah. And there was one point when my family moved to this tiny little town in South Texas and it was a miserable place. And I, you know, I didn't know anybody. I was all alone. The, it was awful. Like it was so hot and humid all the time. And yeah. um, I just, you know, the only place I could go every day and like, sit in the AC and just like lose myself was the library. Right. And I did. And it was like the, the place that saved me, right? Like yeah. I would not have been, I don't right. know, safe otherwise. And, and I recently went back down to that little town and I went back to the library. I went to that library yeah. and uh, it's so, it's like almost the exact same. Yeah. Like a few things have been moved around, but it's almost the exact sure. same. And I just went like... What town was it? It was, it, it was a town called Palacios, Texas. Okay. Okay. And I, uh, yeah, I like sat in the library for like an hour and just sort of absorbed it. And I looked some of the, some of the old books that I read when I was yeah. little were still there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it was old, like old stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just, I love libraries I love not just libraries but public yeah. libraries yeah and I I think that the people who choose that job because you're never going to get rich as a librarian no right? no <laughs> and you're never going to become like a world famous whatever but no. it's such a important role in society and I I kind of have this sort of like hero worship for people Aww. that do this job. So now my, my question is, how did you get there? Like sure. what did you do to get there? So the first thing that I feel like I have to make clear is that in a way I was born to it because oh. my grand, my mother's mother was a librarian. Um, two of, two aunts, one great aunt, and two cousins are all librarians of various sorts, public librarians, wow. school librarians, medical librarians. So, um, so it kind of, but that sort of gave me the idea that it was a profession you could pursue, mm -hmm. you know, which I think when people are thinking about what do I want to do when I grow up, librarian isn't always something that pops to mind. Like it's right, <laughs> but it's a career you could pursue. <laughs> um, but um, I I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a librarian. I grew up thinking I was going to be a journalist, and I was obsessed with journalism and journalists and reading about because um, I came of age in Watergate. And so it just made an impression on me, the power of the media, the, the power of news to keep us honest about what's going on. So, so that was what I was driven to do. But when I hit college, I, I didn't have a name for it yet, but the, I I've suff have suffered my whole life from pretty bad social anxiety disorder mm -hmm. and just pretty bad shyness. So a job that would require me to talk to strangers really was just not going to happen for uh -huh. me, <laughs> which, is, which is why I, I kind of ended up not going into journalism. And so I majored in history, and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Maybe I was going to be a teacher. Maybe I was going to go to law school. And then I had an aunt, one of my aunts, who's just amazing in her own right. She's been a librarian at Columbia University for the New York Public Library System. 
And then she retired and got her degree in theology and now is like a religious historian. But anyway, she was like, I think you're a librarian. I think you're a librarian and you don't realize it. Was this like so, a sort a sorting hat situation? Yeah, it was. She <laughs> just like, she just really just called me up and said, this is what I think. Um, how about you come out and visit me? I'll, she lived out in Philadelphia. We'll take a tour of Drexel University. You can talk to some of the students there. Um, and so I did, and, and, and it did convince me. And then it was sort of this, well, I'll apply and see what happens. And then I got in. <laughs> and so then it was like, oh, shit, I guess I'm because I, at the time, there's only a handful of library programs, and I ended up applying to the one out here in Seattle mm. at the University of Washington. Um, and so I ended up moving to Seattle and going to library school. And so it's all been, it all kind of sprung from there. But because I had a history background, I, you know, I very much like reading and researching. And in fact, one of the things I learned when I was doing my history degree is what I really loved was hanging out in the library and looking up things mm -hmm. and finding things and making those connections. The actual sitting down and reading the books and writing the paper was like secondary to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then also it was sort of, or not early days, but you know, computers were becoming a bigger thing and the internet right. was becoming a thing. And I had done some like basic programming and creating like um, reference database type things for jobs and so anyway that's kind of how it all happened well well and when what what year did you graduate I graduated um, in 96 and then I I took a job for a small a small system kind of across the water from Seattle, Kitsap mm. County. Um, it's funny. So th this is funny too. When I was in library school, I was determined that I was going to be what they call a special librarian. So that I was going to work in a business situation. And I had this whole idea like, I'm going to get hired by Microsoft. I'm going to be a librarian for Microsoft. Oh. I'm going to, you know, like, so I had this whole idea. And in fact, in my class at library school was a woman who was like Amazon's third employee mm -hmm. and was the person who explained to um, Jeff Bezos about, mark records which are a way of like organizing information mm -hmm. that yep. libraries use yeah so anyway explain to them that he didn't have to reinvent the wheel the wheel existed <laughs> and um so that was like the headspace that a lot of us were in and so i got this job at this library system as their business reference librarian and I did it for two years and realized while I was doing that, that was, was very interesting to me was collection management, which is the actual selecting the materials that will be in the library. Yeah. Which is kind of a behind the scenes job that most people don't think about, but yeah. um, someone makes all those decisions <laughs> about what books are going to be there and and what books are going to be taken out to make room for other books mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So, and then uh, I've always loved movies and music my whole life. And so the job that I had when I first met you was um, selecting all the movies and music for the Pierce County Library where I work now. And I did that for over 20 years. Wow. Um, and then, and then I just needed a change the way you do mm -hmm. after you've done something so long and so now I'm like entry level bottom rung supervisor and I'm couldn't be happier it mm -hmm. was it was a big change but it was the right change for me 
I didn't realize there was actually library school. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Right. But um, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, it's a master's degree program usually, uh -huh. um, and and it's where you learn kind of the how to be a librarian. <laughs> yeah. 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 I get it. I get it. That's yeah. really cool. Um, and I kind of feel like that sounds like super fun. <laughs> like I, I would like I to go to library school it. just for fun. I, I loved it. It was honestly one of that. It sounds silly. The happiest time of my life. But up to that point, it was certainly the happiest time of my life. I just felt like, oh yeah, like I'm with my people. This is uh -huh. where I belong. The even the most challenging classes, I was excited to meet the challenge, you know. What was and the most challenging class that you took? Well, to be honest, the most challenging for me was cataloging, which is why I'm not a cataloger. It was ah. just, it's not quite the way my brain works. Yeah, and then like, um, I did a class where I was learning about, because like legal librarian is its whole is a whole thing yes that's a yes. whole career path right and and in legal librarianship you can be specific things i did this whole project on patent doing patent research which is really complicated and what i learned from doing that project was that no way in hell would i want to be a patent yeah <laughs> you know some researching patents yeah, you have to dive deep into the minutia there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, a big part of life is just figuring out what you don't want out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny to me that I was so resistant to this idea of being a public librarian. And I'm not sure why. I think maybe it was just a mindset. Well, like you said, no one gets rich becoming a public librarian. It's not like glorious or anything mm -hmm. like that. But then once I started working in public libraries, I just came to see it as a calling, really. I wow. was like, you're, you're helping people in their daily lives get enlightened, get entertained, find a home, mm -hmm. find, a, find a safe space, um, find representation, um, especially kids, you're helping kids who are going through like difficult transitions and right. maybe don't have in their own lives like visible representation but they can come to the library and find it and yep. see it so i once i once i started working on public libraries it became really clear to me that that's where i belonged so now are you the type of person cuz a lot of folks that i know who are you know classically trained in information sciences <laughs> are uh they have a lot of beef with where we are now as a society and the way that information is both disseminated and acquired so what is your yeah. give me your take on the internets well it's a genie that's out of the bottle yeah so that's one thing yeah like, so there's no going back there's only going forward and how do we go forward um the challenge is that so for a long 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 time librarians were essentially what you we call information gatekeepers mm -hmm. where you know I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know how to find the answer. I'll call the librarian and they know because they have this like very specific reference book that specifically deals with the monarchs of Europe or what you know whatever right. it is. Right. And they can help me find that answer and they can give it to me. Um the internet has completely removed that idea of the information gatekeeper and in many ways, I think that's wonderful. I, I do, even though there certainly in my field, there's a lot of feeling threatened and a lot of stress and, uh, but, you know, but the information they find might not be, you know, as perfect as the information I could find for them. And it's kind of like, well, but is it good enough to answer their question so they can, you know, 
right. move on with their day. <laughs> so, but, but then of course the flip side of that is what we know and what we live in is that there's a lot of bullshit out there. There's a lot of stuff that's not true. There's a lot of stuff that's presented without context or presented with misleading context. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, cause you know, I took a, <laughs> I took a break from Facebook oh, and yes. from a lot of internet for a lot longer than I intended. Mm -hmm. When I, first kind of shut off it was like I'm gonna do this for maybe a couple weeks and I was really off for six months I think almost. wow how was it it was exactly what I needed mm -hmm. I, I just the world was too loud and I was too stressed yep. out about everything but Taking a step back helped me really see, especially once I started kind of tipping, tiptoeing back in, is how information is presented now in ways that manipulate you. It's like oh, they yeah. just reach right in past all of your like, you know, all of the things that are like, hey, wait a minute, like, uh, you know, <laughs> articles that are about this is what this person said about what that person said yes right yes like people are angry that yes you know, yes someone I, did this thing yes and it's like and you read it and it's like well what people random random people on twitter are mad at something that kamala harris said well mm -hmm obviously <laughs> and uh -huh. there's probably random people on twitter who are thrilled at what kamala harris said it doesn't matter like and so just that sheer volume of what is out there and having as individuals to like learn how to just brush aside the stuff that's really not yeah giving you anything of value but is designed to like trigger you. Yes. Yes. Because those, because those things like, you know, these people are mad about this. That kind of article is designed to elicit a reaction. That's all it's there for. It's not there to inform you. Mm -hmm. If you support whatever it is that people are angry about, it makes you angry that, you know, oh, people disagree with this. And if you agree with what the people are angry about, then it just feeds your own righteous anger. Like, yeah, that sucks, you know? So anyway, there's a lot of that. And there's times when I feel a little bit overwhelmed and a sense of feeling like we're just screwed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, right. Until we can figure this out, we're really screwed. Um, but I don't know how you go back or, I mean, I don't think you can go back. It's, it's more like what, what, how do we go forward? Yeah. I, I have arrived at that same place and I have to say, cause you know that I take breaks every once in a while from yeah. social media and people think that the big payoff of those breaks is that I don't have to deal with the constant engagement. And and that's true. It is nice. It's a relief to like let my brain rest and let my emotions kind of settle and whatever. But the real payoff is when I come back because I right. do see like suddenly you see things in very sharp relief, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the way that information is presented and the way that people are discussing certain topics and you're just like, yeah. okay, I get it yeah. now. <laughs> I see what's, I see what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing that is kind of amazing about social media is that you see like trends of information trends of how how people are thinking you see them unfolding like in real time very quickly and mm -hmm. taking a break from it makes you sort of think of like okay wait a minute why is it that i'm suddenly mad about this thing which i didn't even know about last week right but right. now it's consuming my every waking moment part of it is stopping to ask myself, it's like, okay, what can I possibly do about this? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is nothing, then it's something I really have to disengage from yeah. and just say like, this is not great, but I can't solve it. So I feel like the world needs 
um, your kind of very specific curating skill set. Like you need you need to right. show the world how to curate the info, right. like their their own information ecosystems, which yeah. is hard though because like then how do you then curate it in a way that you're not creating a bubble and then you're closing yourself right. off from, yeah. from alternative information that you might actually need. Right. And that to me is the big, I think one of the big problems that we're all facing is that not to wade too much into politics, but if you're a Trump supporter, you live in a completely different information ecosystem than mm -hmm. if you're a Joe Biden supporter. And so we can argue certainly about whether the information in those ecosystems is accurate or not accurate or whatever, but we're choosing to seep ourselves in a particular, you know, and that's something I have been trying, you know, I've written a little bit about it. It's like, how, how do we get back to a place where we kind of at least shared the same ecosystem and then from that information made our own sort of feel you know had our own feelings about things yeah so here's the thing that makes me hopeful about that is that i do think that the way that we're consuming uh, information online is is really artificial right because yeah. naturally normally when we're walking around in real life our information ecosystem is very diverse, right? Like yeah. even in my house, <laughs> my, yeah. my yeah. information ecosystem is diverse. Like there's lots of disagreements that happen here. Right. Right? People have different perspectives and whatever. Yeah. So we know how to do this. It's just right. that online, it's such an artificial virtual environment where you're able to create a completely ego-based information system. And that's the scary part is yeah. that you, you have to consciously go out there and break that down because in some cases the platforms are actually through their algorithm helping aiding and abetting that process. Of, yeah, absolutely. Ego-based information system. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot that could be said about this. I mean, sure. I think it's interesting. And I actually do feel like the voices of librarians aren't heard enough in this conversation. Yeah. It's hard. I think for us, I know that as a profession, it's something that, you know, because we have an association and everything. Mm -hmm. It's often brought up. How does what we know about information, like how do we kind of get it out there and ask, you know, help evolve the conversations? And, you know, there's a lot of talk about information literacy and teaching the ideas of how to, like just how to evaluate a source that you're looking at and how do you sort of decide its veracity, how do you decide its motivation, how do you decide it, it's something you want to place your trust in or, or that you want to include in your basket of understanding the world. So that is something that we certainly talk about. We, a lot of times, we work with local schools to do information literacy mm -hmm. education and that kind of stuff, but those all just feel like kind of they seem really dry and boring when you're sort of like, how do we face this river, just this constant river of information? Yeah. Things yep. go by so quickly and, you know, so. It's a river, but it's like white water. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Where you're just like bouncing around on this little tiny raft trying yeah. to like, hold on. And I will say, I will say as someone who doesn't have children, I genuinely don't know how you raise kids and teach them these things. It feels like it just must be really overwhelming mm -hmm. to yeah. try and let your kids grow and make their own decisions, but stay safe in this sort of crazy world. Yeah. yeah. So. Although I have to say, because my kids are 18, they're a lot more savvy about it than yeah. our generation or even the millennial sure. generation. So I feel like my kids are almost a little bit on the other extreme where they're much more protective about their uh, online like, identity yes. and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, my kids, maybe, I don't know. They, they, they do a lot online, but it's in much more closed environments. Right. So 
they know how to build out their little spaces, which is good. Right. Yeah. That is good. When did you, so you moved to Seattle to go to library school. Where were you before then? I was in Colorado. So I was born in California in Stockton, California. And we moved to upstate New York when I was a kid, when I was a baby, like two. And we moved to North Carolina when I was seven. And then I moved to Colorado from North Carolina. But also during that time, I lived in Texas for a while and I lived in Sweden for a while. Wow. Why so many places? Why so many? So my parents were young students when they got married. We moved to New York so my dad could get his PhD. Um, we moved to North Carolina because he got a job in the Research Triangle Park. Um, then my parents split and my mom remarried and she moved with her husband to Texas and then Sweden. So that was, um, I was with them for that year. And then... I started university, I graduated high school in 87, and I started at UNC Chapel Hill, but college didn't take mm -hmm. the first time around, and so I dropped out after my sophomore year, and at the time, my dad had gotten a job in Colorado, so I kind of moved there because I didn't really have anything else going on, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I liked it. You know, and I ended up getting my degree from CU Boulder. And then I lived in Europe for a while because I did the whole, like, I'm young and I have a backpack. And so I'm going to... <laughs> Nothing can stop you when you're young Nothing and you have a backpack. Nothing can stop me. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I love Seattle. Like, I was born in Washington, you know. And so oh. the Northwest is just an amazing place. Yeah, you're very lucky to live there. I have to say, I I really had an I enjoyed reading like the things you're writing about your life and your life story. And there was so many times when I just kind of felt like we're kindred spirits, even though my life has kind of been different and like we move for different reasons, but. I don't know. I just, I, I really related to your, your kind of lonely, weird child that you talk about. I'm like, yeah. that's my, that's my person. Yeah. I know exactly who that is. Cause I was that person. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the good news is that we tend to be the most interesting adults. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a lot, there's a price to pay, but, but it, it works out yeah. in the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell me about the tigers. About tigers. So I, you know, I wrote that whole thing about it because I felt like it was, it's something, it's this chapter of my life that I've been struggling to understand. Um, and I still am not hundred percent sure I do, <laughs> but so my father is an interesting guy. He's, um, we joke that he's the most interesting man in the world um, because he is that guy. <laughs> he's that guy from the What's his PhD in? Um, his, he's a pathologist and his PhD is in toxicology. Got it. Okay. So, so when we moved to North Carolina, he got hooked up with this guy Mike who was starting this big cat breeding program in North Carolina because at the time people were very much like well these animals are like critically endangered in the wild and we have to see if we can like maybe sustain breeding populations in captivity with the hope of eventually re-releasing them mm -hmm. into the wild like that was sort of the the ideas back then but um like a lot of ideas things have evolved probably yeah. for the better but I just feel like I have to make that caveat when I tell this story because there's a lot of it that troubles me now yeah yeah at the time but at the time it was wonderful and amazing and you know so anyway um so Mike had this breeding program and when females birth in captivity, often they take their babies away from them because females in captivity 
will harm their young often. Oh, I see. That's how they respond to being in captivity. Mm. They either may not know how to mother them or they may hurt them or, you know, yeah. worse. So anyway, so they take the babies away and then the babies really need to be cared for, you know, hand fed, all that kind of stuff. So it started just by Mike, you know, adding my dad to his group of people that would get cubs and like hand raise them until they were old enough to live outside. And um, so we had kind of this endless parade of these adorable tiger cubs um, that we would, we would feed them. We would feed them, we called them milkshakes of uh, raw chicken ground up with mil uh, baby formula. So Yum. Chicken milkshakes. They <laughs> loved it. They were just, the I mean, I can't even tell you. They're so cute. Fern, oh, we, like, we have guinea pigs and I'm like stoked about that. I can't even imagine having right. baby tigers. So their fur is like so soft. I mean, yeah. you can't even, you've never felt anything like it. And baby tigers have this very particular musk to them and mm -hmm. they smell like, like perfume. They smell like Chanel number no. five. They just wow. like, so you just want to like, you know, you just want to eat them up. Aww. <laughs> so, cute. so, and so as a kid, uh, this was all amazing. And like, you know, my dad would bring tigers to school for show and tell. Like, oh my God. For me, it was just like, you know, my dad is a superhero and I live in a magic universe where there are tigers. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, but he always made it really clear that they weren't pets, that that's not what they were, and mm -hmm. that they could be dangerous, you know? Yeah. yeah. Even the kittens could really hurt you if you weren't careful. And in fact, he also had um, uh, fostered a couple of jaguar cubs, but he stopped doing that because jaguar cubs are just mean little motherfuckers. <laughs> really? And yeah, they're, they're really mean and like no judgment, but they are. <laughs> and, and one cornered me and like bit me and I ended up with like a scar on oh my, my leg because this and I'm we're talking about like a little jaguar but they're yeah they're mean wow <laughs> so, that's intense it is it was intense I'll never forget that it's kind of scarred in my memory of the time I was stalked by a jaguar um, but anyway so then um, eventually we, my dad bought this property out in North Carolina, 10 acres in the middle of the woods. And in part he did it because he wanted to be able to raise a tiger into adulthood. Oh. And so we had, he built a compound, very secure compound. And yeah, we raised, we actually ended up raising two tigers to adulthood. The first one ended up, had a lot of kind of emotional and behavioral problems. So she got sent back to Mike, although it's entirely possible, because again, remember I was a kid, sent back to Mike might have been a euphemism. Uh-oh. Okay. We're not going to ask about that. <laughs> Mike <laughs> sent to a farm upstate. So, but, um, but I kind of like that. that we <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> that reminds me, this is a total tangent, but so that's like the common joke of like, you know, what happened to the dog? Oh, the dog went to like a farm yeah, you yeah. Know, where they're very happy. And I always thought like, oh man, that's awful. You know, that a parent would tell kids that. And, and I grew up and <laughs> I was probably 30 when it suddenly I was like, wait a minute, my first dog... <laughs> Which my parents told me they sent to a farm upstate. And I was like, you did it to me. <laughs> I just was like, well, my parents totally sent the dog to a farm upstate. Like, <laughs> other parents maybe are lying about that, but <laughs> I don't know. That's amazing. Anyway, sorry, that's, that's a weird tangent. But um, 
So Kogo, we raised till adulthood and she, I, I don't know, we all loved her and she was beautiful. And, you know, my dad would go out and like play, I'm using quotes, play, which is, you know, exercise, fight, wrestle, whatever. But we were never allowed, you know, in any kind of situation that was like we weren't allowed inside her cage. Yeah. But I did feed her. It was like one of my chores was I, you know, after school every day I fed the dogs, I fed Kogo. And um and then you know, and then the thing is I graduated high school, I went off to college and my life kind of became about being a young person who thinks only of what's going on with them and so I wasn't really present for like I would call the end of the experiment which is my dad got a job in Colorado and we knew there was no way he knew there was no way he could like take yeah. a tiger <laughs> to, to Colorado so Kogo I think went back to Mike I think really went back to Mike um but then I don't actually know what happened to her after that. And it's weird to me because she took up such a big presence in our lives that it's strange to me that I, I don't actually know what happened to her. Wow. Um, but, but yeah, that's the tiger story. And so why we had a tiger when I was growing up is because my dad wanted one. And because I think he felt he was be he was part of something that was noble. Uh-huh. Um, I think in retrospect it maybe wasn't as yeah. I mean, I think the intentions of everyone involved were noble, but I don't know that the result really furthered the health of the species and you know yeah. saving them in the wild. Well, uh, I mean that's pretty much all of the nineteen seventies in a nutshell. Like, yeah, who, it is. who among us, is. yeah, like who among us? The 70s and 80s was a lot of us running around going like, we're humans and we're here to help. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then doing really dumb shit. And then just doing really dumb shit. So, yeah, that was basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. It's cool. Yeah. And, and And frankly, it's cool that you got to have that experience. I mean. Not, oh, yeah. not not everybody gets to do it and no you know. and my brother and I, I think both have that feeling like we got to be a part of something really special yeah and uh certainly it's led to like a lifelong love of I would say all animals and feeling like it's important for us to care about them and keep their homes in the wild safe yeah, because we think we're divided from them, but we're not. You know, yeah. we're all we're all in the same pool. Yeah, it's true. All right. Well, thank you for taking time to sure. uh, to be on the podcast. I love talking to you, and we'll yeah. always enjoy talking to you. I hope yeah. we get to actually meet up IRL sometime soon. Yes, that would be lovely. And this was very fun. And uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, anytime. You're always welcome on the podcast, Kate. Okay. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. <laughs>